0: Welcome to The Journey, where we dissect and peel back the layers of your story, your journey. Are you a young professional trying to make it in the corporate world? A student trying to figure out what they want to become? Maybe you're an accomplished professional who wants to encourage those who are searching for the right path. Regardless of your background, we all come from different walks of life, but we all have a story to tell. I'm CO, your host, and this is The Journey. Welcome everybody to the long overdue episode 2 of the Journey Podcast. I'm your host, C.O. On today's episode, we're going to be featuring Juliana O'Neill, who just recently got accepted into an MBA program at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She also just recently got married and has had a very busy and exciting year. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the transition from the military world into the civilian world. Jules is also a retired Army veteran, graduate of the Military Academy at West Point. So with that, we're going to be talking about not only transitioning from the military world into the civilian world, but there's going to be many gyms you're going to be able to find even if you're not a military veteran. If you're changing career paths, if you're going from... IT to marketing or marketing into nursing school, you're going to be finding a lot of gems in this episode to maybe give you some insight on some of the challenges and excitement around transitioning uh, into different career paths, especially here for our military vets here in Jacksonville, Florida, and for all of those nationwide. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Jules. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I am fantastic. First off, what are we drinking today? We have some uh, nice wine here.
1: We have some very nice wine. You know, high class, right from Publix. We have some 2015 Apothic Crush. It's a smooth red blend from California.
0: Sub $10?
1: It, no, this is from Publix. So it probably should have been sub $10, and it was probably like $14.
0: Well, it is some grand wine. It is not, grand. Not my favorite from Apothic Red, but... Uh,
1: agreed, agreed. Uh, I had not tried the Crush before, but, you know, may- I'm open to new things.
0: <laughs> Maybe next time. So, so as I mentioned in the intro, Jules just uh, got into the NBA program at UNC... Chapel Hill. Can you tell us a little bit about about that? Why did you choose UNC and what made you choose uh, the NBA route?
1: So first and foremost, I believe as a general statement of the world that you should always be trying every day to get better, whether that is personally, professionally, or otherwise. Um, I have been out of the Army for just about three years now and I have done a lot of thinking in the last couple of months and have decided that now is the time to kind of take the next step and give myself some education to back up some of the civilian work experience that I have developed in the last couple of years working for Dr. Pepper. So I started doing some research a couple of months ago and to be honest with you, I just Googled top MBA programs. And I was considering doing a concrete program uh, here within Florida. Um, But I couldn't really find a program that was going to fit for me going to a classroom. So then I Googled top online MBA programs and UNC at Chapel Hill popped up as the, I want to say the number one or the number two program. And I was like, sweet, my family's from Raleigh. I love UNC. I've always been a fan, a fan. Um, Coach K, you know, for the basketball team is a West Point grad. So I looked up the program, decided to apply, Um, obviously applied and found out I was accepted about a month ago and I start classes on Monday.
0: Very exciting, so, so what are some of the classes that you're taking uh, for your first semester?
1: So my first class is analytical tools, which is basically statistics.
0: That sounds intimidating.
1: I am not excited. <laughs> um, the statistics class at West Point is MA305 and I was, I was looking at the course material yesterday and I was like, oh, flashbacks, wonderful. Um, the second class is a marketing strategy class. So I'm excited for that because that is not something I've had in my academic um, repertoire in the past. A lot of, West Point is a great program, but it does not teach a lot of those business acumen type classes that you get in, you can take in a regular college or that you would get in an MBA program.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Now, speaking on West Point, I know you mentioned that you were um, in the army for a few years and that's something we're definitely going to dive into uh, later in the episode. Can you tell me a little bit about how that decision came about when you were in high school? What prompted you to apply to West Point and kind of tell me about that transition going from high school to a military academy?
1: So when I was in high school, I was really involved in sports. I ran cross country, I ran track, and most importantly, I played basketball. I actually participated in those other two sports in order to be a better basketball player, to condition myself in the off season. So I also played club basketball, which is summer basketball. I played for an AAU program. And the summer of my going into my junior year, we were playing at a tournament, I want to say in Seattle, and the West Point basketball coaches approached my coach and talked to him about me. And he brought it to me. And at first I said, I have no idea what this is. We don't have military in my family. It's not something I was aware of. So he said, well, you know, just kind of think about it, Google it, talk to your family. So I did that and I was kind of like, okay, you know, it's, it's the military, I got it. Um, they, they saw me at another tournament, approached him again, and I, at that point, really kind of took a deep dive into what West Point was and what it offered. Um, so I, at that point, figured out that not only was it military, but it was the premier leadership school um, in the world. So I have always been someone who likes to lead. I like to be in charge. I like to um, work with groups of people to accomplish a bigger purpose. I like to be part of a group that is larger than myself, accomplishing a goal that we can only accomplish if we work together um, in order to achieve that goal. So kind of put all those things together. I was able to play basketball at Division I school, which is obviously everybody's dream, um, who plays a sport. So, I kind of looked into all of those things and applied, and luckily, you know, I was accepted. You going to West Point or any of the service academies, you don't go on a sports scholarship, you go based on meeting the criteria to enter a service academy. So, you still have to get a congressional nomination, you still have to pass all the physical requirements. Um, so, I went through all that process, was accepted, um, and I chose actually to go to the prep school initially mm-hmm. because I did not have the um military experience at all like we didn't have it in my family as i mentioned so i went to the prep school for a year to kind of familiarize myself i also got basically a red shirt season for basketball um, and then entered into west point the year after that okay
0: now i'm glad you brought that up about the prep school because my understanding when i was in high school and thinking about going to the air force academy was prep school was for those like myself who didn't have a high enough test score but had a GPA that was high enough to possibly get into the program. So you're saying the prep school was for also young men and women who did not come from a military background or for not familiar. Can you can shed so some
1: light on that? There are kind of three buckets of people who go to a, a mm. prep school. One bucket is going to be people who were prior service and who have been out of the academic environment for a couple of years and need to go kind of basically take a couple of classes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's You can really liken prep school to community college. Okay. Um, the second bucket of people is going to be those, like yourself, as you mentioned, who did not have the minimum test scores required, like an SAT or an ACT test score, uh, to get into West Point uh, or any of the service academies. A lot of the classes that you take are specifically geared towards SAT, ACT, in terms of the type of classes that you're taking and the things that you're learning. And then the third bucket is those sports people who kind of want an extra year. So I fell really into that third bucket. I wanted an extra year, but I also wanted time to um, learn about the military because, like I said, no experience in my family whatsoever.
0: Okay. Now, you had mentioned that you didn't really know much about West Point. During your recruiting slash scouting process, were you being looked at at any other schools? I was
1: being looked at by a few, mm. um, really more Division two, II, Division three schools to be honest with you. Mm. Um, there were a couple of schools in Pennsylvania, there were a couple of schools in uh, California. At the time that I was coming out of high school, this would have been 2003, I was in a weird time for women's basketball. When I was in high school, I'm six feet tall, six feet tall was a center. By the time I graduated from high school, six feet tall was becoming a point guard. For me, that transition was going to happen rapidly, essentially over a summer. So if I wanted to play at division one, I was gonna have to figure out kind of how to do that. Otherwise I was gonna be at division two or division three, but academics was always incredibly important to me. And I was aware even at 18 years old that I was probably not going to go on and be some grand's face of the NBA or WNBA, you know, five, 10 years down the road. So I was like, okay, West Point, great leadership school will set me up for the rest of my life in terms of education. So that's what really drove that decision. Gotcha.
0: Now I want to pinpoint on the basketball part because you said you were kind of like the center in high school. When you got to the coll- collegiate level, were you... Did you get moved to point guard? What what position do you play on the court?
1: So, actually, when I got to college, I ended up having some health issues. I had an issue with my foot. Hmm. Um, I had to get surgery on my foot, so I didn't end up playing. But that's part of the beauty of um, West Point. I kind of played on the practice squad a little yeah. bit. Um, I still stayed with the team. I did manager, manager act, um, activities with the team. Um, but... I was still there and I was still in a great school with a great program, a great academic program, a great leadership program. And for me, I was graduating college in 2008. In 2008, we were in a recession, jobs were scarce. A lot of my high school classmates uh, were getting out of college and either going into serving type roles or turning around and going right back into some type of graduate program because they weren't finding jobs coming out of college. So lucky for me, even though I wasn't able to realize my goal of playing college basketball, I was in a great school and I also had a job coming out on the other end.
0: So just kind of piggybacking on that, it seems like at a very young age, you kind of knew what you wanted with regards to leadership growth and development opportunities and having a really big focus on academics, which is crucial, especially at such a young age, where do you think that you kind of glean that from? Is that more so from like your, your parents, your upbringing, or was that just something you felt was always important? Can you, can you kind of walk me through that, like that focus on the academics and leadership and who, who you, I guess, learned that, learned that from?
1: So I would say it's probably, one, something that I have always had within myself, but also very important from my parents. Um, my dad moved from Brazil um, in his mid-20s. Uh, Did not speak English when he came to the United States. Taught taught himself English and built a business, um, a very successful business. Um, So he was an entrepreneur coming into the United States. And I always really looked up to that. I thought that was a really great success story. Um, I also felt that it was important to give back to the country that gave him so much opportunity. Uh, Both he and my mother really were supportive of me and my sister in terms of um working hard in academics pushing us to do the best we could do um i've always kind of been a book bookworm i love to read um, i love to research i have really always enjoyed kind of like a socio-economic interplay of of wherever whether that's a latin american look from a like a macroeconomic level or whether that's people watching you know at the restaurant down down the road um, we moved a lot when I was younger so I've always had to adapt to new groups of people and I think that has really informed my desire to lead within those groups of people like I want to get to know these people but I also kind of want to be able to have influence on that group of people so it's definitely my parents but it was also definitely um, a lot of the moving around that I did It, it definitely informed both of those
0: so if you're a kid listening, it does help to listen to your parents when you're younger. It does. It does pay off in the long run. Uh, now tell me about uh, West Point. I want to get more into details about that. So I imagine that coming from you know, a high school level where you don't come from a military background to transitioning to military world. What was that transition like in the earlier stages going from I'm um, at the top of the... Food chain, as I guess you could say, in high school, yeah. um, to going into your freshman year at West Point,
1: it's daunting, definitely. Um, graduating from high school, I was top two percent of my class. I no big deal, no big deal, <laughs> NBD. Uh, I, you know, I was I was proud of myself, you know, and and I had was very successful in terms of sports, and I was going to a good school, and I was having you know kind of like a really good moment. Um, And then I got to West Point, well, I got to the prep school first, which was in and of itself a very daunting situation because the prep school is actually run by drill instructors. So the same people that run basic run the prep school. Yes. So what was day one like? There's a lot of yelling. Um, You're on a bus. They get on the bus. They yell at you. You get off. You're running around. You're sweating. It's hot. It's in um, New Jersey in July. So, you know, everybody wants to be in New Jersey in July. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, So it's, it's a lot of challenging you physically, but it's also challenging you mentally and emotionally and, and being able to take kind of this, they're not yelling at you for the sake of yelling at you. They're yelling at you to push your limits. They're yelling at you to kind of tear you down a little bit so they can build you back up in this image of being a soldier and this image of working together as a unit. Um, West Point, you know, very similar. It is run by cadets. It is not run by drill instructors, so it's a little bit of a different feel. Uh, the first couple of weeks at West Point, um, your first summer is called Beast Barracks. Ooh,
0: yes. Beast Barracks. Yes.
1: So West Point, its geographical location is is daunting. It's on a mountain. It overlooks water. It's very imposing. So the first couple of weeks you're learning about being a cadet, where things are located, what being a cadet looks like. Then the back half, it's a lot of field training, um, learning basic soldier skills. Because yes, you're at a leadership school and you're there to go to school, but you're also there to be a leader of soldiers and you have to have that understanding from the very first day you step foot on West Point.
0: Nice. Now I know you were also I know you mentioned that you got hurt with the, the foot injury, but you spent a lot of time in a managerial role with the West Point basketball team. Talk to me, talk to us about some of the challenges of not only, you know, some of these military, these daunting military day-to-day tasks that you had to accomplish, but also being a student and having to be an athlete. Because, you know, me as a student athlete, when I was in college, I mean, it was very challenging just to go to practice, workout in the morning, then class all day, then you have practice, then you have a game that week. But then you add that military element into there. Like, Tell me me a little bit about some of those challenges and how you uh, dealt with some of those challenges.
1: So the best way to probably describe that is through kind of a typical day at West Point, kind of what your schedule looks like. Um, First and foremost, if you don't learn time management at West Point and in life in general, you are going to have a very difficult time. Um, Your first formation at West Point is at 7 o'clock in the morning. So you're outside, full uniform, 7 a.m. As a freshman, you are actually up before that. As a freshman, you're actually a plebe. You're up before that. You're doing duties, such as delivering newspapers, collecting laundry, um, those types of things. You're learning to be subservient before you become a leader, right? So you understand what your soldiers are doing Mm -hmm. in their jobs when you get out into the army. Yeah. So your first formation is at 7. You have until 7.30 to eat breakfast. Your first class is probably seven forty-five. You go to four classes before lunch. You go to lunch. Breakfast and lunch are mandatory. That's not an option. You're not going back to your room and no like,
0: ramen noodles. In the, no, in the there's dorm no room. like,
1: oh, I'm gonna go back and like take a nap. Yeah. you can't take a nap actually. In the morning, uh, you're in. It's called AMI, so it's in. You're in morning inspection. So your your bed is made. Your door is open. Uh, your wardrobe is open. Everything is folded correctly. You it's can't. Like mom take a- coming
0: in your room every single absolutely, day. Absolutely, <laughs>
1: absolutely. You cannot take a nap in the morning. Um, after lunch, sometimes there's like a little kind of a short period that's about forty-five minutes. You can kind of get a little bit of a breather. There's three classes afternoon, uh, two to three classes. Um, when you're in a sports role or in a managerial role like I was. When you get out of class, you go up to the stadium, which, oh, by the way, is like up a mountain. Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect. So cardio, <laughs> you go up there, you get the the vans, you come back down, you get the team. So the team has a, you know, obviously way more demanding situation. So they're going up, they're doing cardio, they're lifting, they're doing workouts. Uh, while we're up there, we're assisting with practice. Um, we're, we bring dinner up there. So we go down to the mess hall, get dinner, bring it up there um, clean it up, take it back down to the mess hall. Uh, the girls are still in practice. They're up there, you know, three, four hours a day on an average night during the season. You're probably not getting back to your room until seven, eight o'clock at night. You've got all of your classes to do. Uh, West Point does the Thayer method. So you're teaching yourself the lesson before you go to class. So you've got to do all your classes and then West Point has a curfew lights out at 11 o'clock. So you better have figured out how to do all your homework and get all your stuff done. And then, Oh, by the way, military training is happening kind of interspersed throughout the week. Mm. You have, if you're a plebe, you are getting training from your team leader who is a year ahead of you. Um, if you are a squad leader, you kind of have, um, team leaders and plebes that you're in charge of. And then there are weekends where you're doing military training. You're going out and doing land navigation. Um, you're going out and doing drill, you're doing parades. So your schedule is full all the time when you're at West Point.
0: Now you mentioned that lights out at 11. So if you had a test the next day, there was no time for cramming. Did they come in and inspect to make sure like you were in bed asleep or like, how did that work? Could you like wake up after they inspect your room and get some studying in? So you
1: could, so they come and do taps. So at taps, they physically knock on your door and open the door and make sure your lights are out. After they make sure your lights are out, they lock, you lock the door. Mm. Um, You can kind of, you know, you pull down the shades, you, every desk has a light, so you kind of like turn the light on Mm. and kind of like build a little fortress and you can do work. Um, You can only do that so many times because your schedule is so demanding, you're burning the candle at both ends. Oh yeah.
0: Now, with the dropout rate, if I imagine there is some, especially with, being a freshman, was there a high percentage of kids that dropped out in their freshman year or the plebe stage?
1: So the majority of attrition, as uh, West Point calls it, happens during your Beast Barracks summer. Um, I wanna say West Point will bring in about 15 to 1600 plebes into, or new cadets, into Beast Barracks and will finish with about 1200 so you'll lose maybe about 300 and i could be a little bit off Mm -hmm. on those numbers Um, so that's when you kind of get your first batch of people that leave you'll get another batch of people that will leave christmas time first christmas Mm -hmm. christmas of your plebe year and then you'll kind of get onesies and twosies that'll happen sophomore year and junior year um, particularly junior year so once you step foot in a classroom first day of your junior year, you have committed to West Point. That's it. You are going, you are going to the army. That's it. The first two years you can leave whenever you want, no issue. Um, but starting your junior year, you are in it to win it. Um, so you'll see a couple of people that will kind of leave at that point. Um, but most West Point classes graduate with right around a thousand. I think that number is a little bit higher because West Point has admitted more people in recent years. Okay. Um, So, yeah.
0: Now, I wanted to dive just a little bit. I don't want to get too much in the weeds about the Beast Barracks. Where does that name come from, and what about it causes the 300 or so people to essentially drop out? Is it like a boot camp, like Hell Week kind of thing?
1: So, where the name comes from, I honestly can't tell you. It was probably part of my knowledge book. Um, so when the first day of when you get to West Point, you get this little like three by five book and it's filled with knowledge about West Point. How many gallons of water are in Lusk Reservoir? Um, how's the cow? All these little rhymes and pieces of information and just historical things about West Point. Um, So that information is probably in there. I don't, I don't really know where beast necessarily comes from, or I don't remember. Um, what causes the attrition is the pressure that you're placed under. Um, you're, you've are you got these kind of type A people, for the most part, all placed together kind of in a pressure cooker under circumstances that the most of them have not experienced before. Mm-hmm. The first couple of weeks are not particularly physically demanding. They're emotionally demanding. They're mentally demanding. Um, you're asked to do things that you've not been asked to do before, um, go on... Um, ruck marches. So even though that's not physically demanding, you, you know, you have a, a ruck on your back, but you're only walking three miles That's not bad, but you have to do it under military circumstances. You have to keep up with um, The other cadets that are around you. So there's a tremendous amount of pressure about that. Uh, there's pressure to learn all this knowledge um, There's pressure to subvert yourself in a way that you haven't subverted yourself before. You know, everyone now is independent. I do what mm-hmm. I want and, um, I'm, I'm the boss of myself yeah. and you're, yeah. you're not, you're not doing that Yeah. You, as a new cadet, you yeah. are going to shut up yeah. and you are going to do what you are told and you are going to learn to be subservient because you need to learn to understand that role so you can lead soldiers down the road.
0: What did you study at West Point?
1: I studied Latin American Studies. So for a very long time I wanted to be an ambassador. Um, a lot of that had to do with my father coming from, oh, wow. West, from, uh, from Brazil. Mm. So I really wanted to be an ambassador and that's why I studied that. Um, things kind of changed uh, when I decided to get out of the army so I didn't go that route. Um, but I also studied um, Systems Engineering. So every West Point graduate has their major, but then they also have essentially a minor in an engineering track. Okay. So you can do um, environmental, systems, mechanical. There's a couple of different options.
0: Okay. So this next question may be uh, somewhat of a sore subject because I think it's 12 or 13 years going I don't, don't on now. Don't talk to me. But <laughs> I have to me. talk about the very long-lived rivalry between army and navy yes. football yes so can you talk to me a little bit about what that week is like prepping for it and from my understanding I believe some of the all the cadets are required and the midshipmen from mm-hmm. navy yes. side can you tell me a little bit about that week army navy week and how the school preps for it, and things going on in that nature
1: it's the best week it really is like so first of all The service academies really work together. We all have these grand rivalries, but it's very similar to a family. You know, I'm allowed to talk badly about you as my family member, but if somebody else talks badly about my family member, I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah. Right. So it's the same idea. Um, So we actually have exchange cadets that go between the different academies. So West Point will have a couple of Air Force cadets, and we'll also have midshipmen. So all week you're constantly playing pranks on them. Um, West Point has these thing called drop zones. Mm-hmm. So we'll tape on the on the floor in the barracks. We'll tape out areas, and if you walk into the drop zone, you have to do push ups or do jumping jacks okay. or yell out like "Go Army, Beat Navy!" and it, it's just a spirit week. We are filled with so much joy. You know, a lot of people don't realize because we've had such a long losing streak. We haven't won a game since 2001. Um, that the rivalry was for the longest time was actually pretty evenly matched. Um, it was pretty much about a 50-50 split. Um, ever since the war kind of kicked off, it has changed the dynamic a little bit. There are you know, athletes that are not interested in going to the military because of, or going to West Point because they don't want to go to the military and have that aspect. Um, Navy has not, for whatever reason, really encountered that as much as we have. Um, so we're constantly dealing with that challenge, um, but it's the best week. There's just so much anticipation and joy and fear, and this is the first season that we've started off with a winning season. We are three and one right now, and there is so much. It's like a crackling in the air when you talk to when you talk to grads right now. Like we're gonna win, we're gonna win Army Navy, and we're going this year. And I am so incredibly excited to go be there. It, it's just, it's an atmosphere that you cannot replicate replicate in any other rivalry. Yeah,
0: I, I've, just speaking from my experience going a few years back, I've been to many professional and collegiate venues for all types of sports, but if you have never been to an Army-Navy game, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about it, just the... The history, the tradition, the just,
1: pageantry. Yes,
0: it. I mean, it's incredible. We went out there to to tailgates so early in the morning, and the cadets and the midshipmen were out there in formation. There, I mean, it was it was incredible. You've got four star admirals and generals roaming around in golf carts, asking you how you are doing, Absolutely. smoking a cigar. Like, hey, you guys excited yeah. for the game? I mean, it's incredible because so many powerful people all in this Mm -hmm. place at the same time all there for the same reason just to watch a a great football game it's it's
1: the future leaders of of the of the children of the men and women of this country you know all in one place coming together for you know the ultimate american sports game football i mean it's just like you said it, it gives you goosebumps it is such an amazing thing to watch um, a lot of people will watch it on TV, but they won't necessarily watch the March On. Mm-hmm. The March On is so amazing to watch. It is so inspiring to see these future leaders. Um, speaking from experience, having done it, it's not the most enjoyable thing in the world.
0: <laughs> it's a long day. I bet. It's a
1: long, long day. Like when, the, when the game is at noon, it's at noon this year. When the game is at noon, your first formation is at like 7 o'clock in the morning.
0: Just another day at the office. It's
1: just rough. Like, you you don't want to... Because you had classes the day before. You had classes on Friday, a full day of class. Mm. And then you're traveling down to Baltimore or Philadelphia or wherever it was to participate in this march on and watch this game. And then you're turning around and going back to class on Monday morning. There's no break.
0: No break. No break. Oh, my goodness. So, kind of fast forward a little bit to graduation. I know you did systems engineering and... Latin American Studies what was a transition like going from graduating at West Point and maybe even talk about what graduation day was like and then going into the military be becoming an army officer is there an extended boot camp period or training period that you go to from you know school uh, West Point into uh, your new role in the Army How, how, how did that transition
1: so your senior year at West Point you choose a branch so there's you know various branches most people know infantry armor Mm -hmm. those types of things Um, there's supply there's maintenance Uh, I think there's in total about 13 branches so for me I picked quartermaster which is supply Um, so you know what branch you have and where the school is for that branch prior to graduation so everybody graduates In May I graduated May 31st 2008 Um, there is no comparison for the emotion that you feel on graduation day.
0: I didn't goose glimpse this thing about it I didn't even go.
1: It is four years of joy and terror and tears and hard work culminating into one day and the morning of graduation the mess hall feeds you ice cream and waffles, and it is the most legit breakfast <laughs> you have ever had in your life. It is amazing, and so in typical West Point fashion, you do everything to get together. We have this this saying at West Point: "Cooperate and graduate." Um, West Point, you are not going to get through it as an individual. There are three pillars: there's military, physical, and academic, and it is few and far between that individual who's going to excel in all of those on their own. So you have to learn to work together. That's part of the reason I love West Point so much because I love being a member of a team. So, in typical West Point fashion, you are going to march to the stadium up a mountain. Of course. Together with your class. And so that's what you do. You start at the mess hall. And you march up to Mikey Stadium, which is where all the football games are played.
0: Is that an emotional period, like walking up to that?
1: It's almost surreal. Mm-hmm. Like, you're so amped up. You're so excited. But then there's also a part of you that's like, what if this is a mistake? Like, what if they found out that I did something? Or what if they mm-hmm. miscalculated a grade? Oh my or it's very, yeah. it's very emotional. Mm-hmm. So you're up there. You march up there. You know you're... Friends and family and everybody's in the stadium. You're put into a holding a holding area, and then you're marched out onto the field and placed in um, chairs on the stadium. So just like any other, you know, college mm-hmm. graduation, high school graduation, um, you have the process and the speakers and all that. And some, you know, sometimes it's, you know, we're very lucky. It can be presidents, it can be a secretary of states, it can be you know, a lot of really high-profile people, and. Um, You don't really believe that you have graduated until this person hands you your diploma and you have walked off the stage. Because at this point it's like, you can't take it from me now!
0: (laughs) It's mine now! Yes,
1: so right after you graduate, um, you actually go into your commissioning ceremony. So those are two separate things. Okay. So you graduate from West Point with your bachelor's and then you go into your commissioning ceremony as a West Point, or I'm sorry, as an army officer. Um, and then you either have 30 or 60 days of leave, which is essentially vacation, um, before you have to go report to your first school. So your first school is either going to be at Fort Benning um, or at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. Um, so it's officer it's basically like officer basic course now i've heard that they've changed it now that they've combined officer basic course one with officer basic course two but for me at the time it was officer basic course which is a lot of field work basic soldier skills um riflery um, land navigation those types of things in the dead heat of the summer For me, which was in Georgia, which was great. Why not? Very, very (laughs) relaxing. Uh, And then after that, you go to your school for whatever your um, branch is. So for me, that was Quartermaster. So I went to Quartermaster School, which is at Fort Lee. So I went to, I reported to Fort Lee in September of 2008. And I was in school until the end of, or the middle of November 2008. And then after that, I was actually stationed at Fort Lee. So I graduated from Quartermaster Basic on Friday and reported to my new unit on Monday morning.
0: That's a quick transition.
1: Yes, no rest. So with the,
0: I guess, transitioning from being a student at West Point to going, it seems like just... Diving right into the military. What were some of the earlier challenges being not only just an officer, but you have so many military servicemen and women who either went and enlisted or they just went through OCS. They've just been in the military for a long time. And now you've got to go in and lead guys and gals who have been in the military for way longer than you've been in school. Right. Like, What were some of those challenges, if any, which I imagine there are definitely some?
1: Yeah, d- there are definitely. Um, I would say the biggest challenge is actually leading. So you have been at this, for me, wonderful leadership school and had opportunities to be a leader over the course of the four years that you're there. And you do military training in the summer at West Point as well. So you don't like, you know okay, it's the end of my sophomore year and I'll yeah. see you in three months. You know, you're doing training over the summer. Um, so you've had a lot of opportunities to lead. You're leading other cadets. But now you're leading, just like you said, these servicemen and women who've been in the military potentially longer than I was in school. So it's learning to apply all these leadership principles that you've learned um, in a real world situation. And now if you have a good platoon sergeant, who is your counterpart. So your first job in the army is typically a platoon leader. A platoon leader is in charge of about 40 people. There is a officer, which is the platoon leader and there is an enlisted leader as well. So that enlisted leader is usually an E six or an E seven, a sergeant first class or a staff sergeant who has been in the army anywhere from like eight to 12 years. Um, who's had some leadership. Mm -hmm. So it is their responsibility to take the experience that they have and help you be a leader. But they recognize that you are the leader. You're the ultimate decision maker. So you always have a counterpart who's an advisor to you in the Army. And that's one of the things I think is so wonderful about the Army is that you're always making these decisions with the advice of... Someone who has a lot of experience. Ultimately, the decision is up to you. You have to be a leader and make a choice. Um, but you are given a lot of people around you who have a lot of experience. That's awesome. So that's the main. That's the main challenge is is finding your footing as a leader, and then kind of going forth and and you know putting foot to ground and saying this is what we're doing.
0: So you were in the military for. Five years, Mm -hmm. and I know you spent some time over in Iraq, correct?
1: Yes, I was in Iraq.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about your experience there, your role, and then just your... What did you learn while you were there from a military's perspective and just from a life perspective?
1: So I deployed to Iraq in the end of March of 2010, Um, I was in Kuwait for a couple of weeks, and then I went on to al-Assad, Iraq. Um, I got there in April of 2010, and I was there for a year. I stayed until April of 2011. And my primary role there was to facilitate the deployment and redeployment of troops during the responsible drawdown of forces as mandated by President Obama in the summer of 2010. It's a long, big sentence. Um, So... We needed to get down to 50,000. We had over 100,000 troops in Iraq at that time. That's a lot of people.
0: Was there a strict timeline?
1: Yes. September 1, 2010. Drop dead, had to be out. That was it.
0: No excuses. No excuses.
1: No BS. And particularly at that time, it was a very sensitive subject. Troops in Iraq was very sensitive. You see it now. You know, you listen to the political debates that go on. It's very sensitive now to even talk about sending people back into Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, so I was responsible for, with my, with, you know, my Navy counterpart, um, responsible for getting people back home and bringing some of the replacements in. Um, we did have to bring some troops back in just based on a and sis brigade, um, responsibilities. But at the time, everybody was going into and coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan through Kuwait. Kuwait had a very... Um, long process. It was required a couple of different geographical locations, mm-hmm. um, and it just wasn't able to sustain those operations. So they identified al um, as the secondary location. So when I got there, um, some things were already in place. Um, so I took over and was part of refining the process. Uh, there was a very rudimentary process that was already in place, um, and then we refined the process. Um, down to the point where it was going to take three to five hours mm-hmm. for anywhere from up to a thousand people to get out of a, out of theater in a day. Um, whereas when I got there, we could only do about 300 in, in a day. Um, so that was really our main responsibility. Um, and I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about joint operations, working with different groups of people. I mean, it's all the military, right? Yeah. So you've got Army, Navy, Air mm-hmm. Force, but it's different groups of people it's different cultures so it's learning to work with the navy and recognizing their strengths. the same with the air force the same with the coast guard um it's learning to recognize what people's agendas are people have different agendas you know good bad and different it's not a judgment um but it's recognizing kind of okay we all have this goal but is this goal your number one goal the way it's my number one goal and being able to kind of read people and, and identify that um Learning to operate on little to no sleep. I think I was addicted to chai tea lattes when I was there. Like, I had to stop drinking coffee because I was making myself crazy. And I was harping on my soldiers about drinking Rippets. Because we used to get them... So (laughs) Rippet... Let me tell you about Rippet. So (laughs) Rippet is the knockoff, 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 knockoff... Of like, Red Bull and Monster.
0: Perfect. Sounds safe.
1: So it's, like, cocaine <laughs> in, like, liquid form. Oh, my God. It's so bad for you. And my soldiers would drink it, like, by the case. So I had to ban them from drinking it. Because we're running these operations in the middle of the summer. It's 120 yeah. degrees. It
0: can't be hard.
1: We're in full uniform. <laughs> we're not out there in t-shirt and shorts, yeah. you know. So I would be like, listen, guys, like, you got to you know, you've got to drink some water. Like, give me a break. So I had to get myself off of coffee. I didn't drink the Rippets because I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. Um, so I would drink chai tea lattes at like three o'clock in the morning because when these missions went off, that was it. It didn't matter if it was 2 a.m., 2 p.m., noon, whatever. You know, you had to go out there and do the mission.
0: Now, I don't mean to interject here. Now, when you say chiley, chai tea latte, this wasn't like a Starbucks no. chai tea latte. What, what kind of brand are we talking We're about We're
1: talking here? Uh, the one the company that the Army partnered with. Well, technically, Alsat is a Marine base.
0: This isn't an advertisement for this company,
1: by the way. No, no, please, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> um, it was Green Bean Coffee. Hmm. I don't even know if it still exists, to be honest with you. Did you just make that up? No, I didn't make it up but it was green bean it was the green bean coffee it was next to a subway so I would also get like a meatball sub it was incredibly healthy um, but I would get these like ginormous iced chai tea lattes and just like pour them down my face just to try to stay awake and like go out and run these missions should have just had a rip it no because I thought I, I drank it one time and I was like I'm going to have a heart attack like this stuff is terrible Um, So anyway, so you learn a lot. You learn about yourself, right? You learn like you kind of learn your limits, Mm -hmm. you know, physically, mentally, you learn to lean on people to help you make decisions. You know, when when you're foggy, when your brain is foggy, when you're tired, is this the right decision? Is this, am I making this decision because I'm tired or I'm making this decision because this is the right decision? Um, You run into some really unique situations. The first couple of weeks that I was there, the... Volcano in Iceland exploded. I don't know if everybody remembers that. Like 2010, it was there was volcanic ash all in the air, so they suspended. Oh yes, yeah. I yes,
0: I do remember that. So they yes. suspended
1: yeah. um, flights. We weren't we weren't flying. I had a, a senior leader come up to me who understandably wanted to get his soldiers home. That was his number one mission. I'm fully on board with that. But his um, mission answer was to have me call the FAA, the federal, you know, airline yeah. Yeah. people, and tell them that we were going to reroute our single plane through Africa. That's not going to work. So you you have, but yeah. you can't. This is a this is an 05. This is a a Colonel in the army. I am a O two, So I've been in the army for two years. He's been in the army for 20 years. So you have to learn diplomacy. Yeah, you yeah. have to learn how to talk to these people. You have to learn to leverage, uh, the people that you do have available to you. Um, like your dad to, mm. you know, use, to use them to, to, to help you. You know, you have to, you have to leverage experience, both up and down, you know. You, I had soldiers yeah. who would run something every single day. So I would go to my soldier and say, "Hey, Connelly, you know, I'm having a problem with these trucks. Can you help me out?" And same thing with this with this guy. I would say, "Hey, you know, I'd have to go up the chain of command. Hey, I, I need help here. Can you help me out?" Um, so you you learn to leverage experience. You learn to leverage the people around you. You learn to, um, you learn yourself. You do a lot of, of introspection in, in what you're capable of. And you learn that you're capable of more than you realize.
0: So you were there, you were in Iraq for a year. And when you came back to the States, did you, how long, how much longer were you in the military after returning? Because I know you were in the military for about five years. Yeah.
1: Um, I got back in... April of 2011 and I got out of the army in July of 2013. So just about, just over two years. Okay. Yeah.
0: So going into the civilian world, I know you mentioned 2013, how did that process begin? Mm -hmm. Was there, were there programs in place in the military to help Mm -hmm. you prepare for the transition from military to civilian world?
1: So there are. Um, For me the process was actually kind of interesting. I was kind of going back and forth between what I wanted to do, if I wanted to stay in, if I wanted to get out. Um, I found out that I have degeneration in my back and so I was going to a doctor trying to figure out kind of like what I needed to do. Um, For me personally, I want to lead from the front with the people that I'm leading. In the military in particular, you need to be able to lead from the front physically if I had developed that issue later on in my career, it may have been less of a problem. But because I had developed it early in my career, it was going to limit my career options. Um, So in going to my doctor, I actually um, was told to kind of look into uh, the medical piece of of getting out of the army, you Mm -hmm. know, because I developed it while I was in the army. So I ended up getting medically retired, which was not something I anticipated. Uh, So I got medically retired, and in that process, you are introduced to the programs that the military has to help Mm -hmm. transition you. So the military has really focused on transitioning soldiers um, in the last couple of years. Um, We didn't used to have a lot of transition programs, but now we have, um, I think it's called TAPS now, I think is what they changed it to, but it's essentially a week-long class where Mm -hmm. they talk to you about resume writing, Um, they put you on programs that have like job uh, job fairs, job availability. The military runs job fairs now, which they didn't used to do. They will try to help match up your job skills within the military with civilian jobs that are out there. Uh, the military is starting to partner with um, civilian companies to come in and do job fairs because people are looking for military skills. Now, it's not necessarily a leadership skill, but it, it could be a mortuary affairs skill. Okay. it could be a fueling skill it could be um, a maintenance skill there's a lot of skills that transition to the civilian world so that the military and the civilian world are, are working more closely hand-in-hand hand to try to transition the soldiers easily now
0: nice. I was just uh, recently uh, uh, I guess you could say I've been actively working uh, through my company with Operation New Uniform which helps kind of mm-hmm. that transition from the military to the civilian world did you guys is that a military-based company, or is that a civilian world, or civilian-based company? And did you guys work well a lot with that with that organization? So I
1: actually was just introduced to that organization like a couple of weeks ago. Um, I do believe the man who runs that organization is former army, mm-hmm. and I do believe he reaches out to the army. But I know they're kind of newer, mm-hmm. um, so I don't believe they work with the army on a kind of a national scale they probably work they probably work with like NAS jacks okay. um, to be honest with you but it, it's important to have these these programs what i see happening now is there are these programs that are being developed and there are actually military members who don't even know about them like there there are there are groups and programs of people who want to help the military but it's that kind of key point of connecting the military with these programs so that's kind of I think the next step of connecting the two in order to help service members in their transition
0: now with your transition uh, specifically I know you're with dr. pepper snapple group Mm -hmm. how did you come about that company how were you introduced to them and kind of tell me a little bit about the early stages of that transition going from military to a big corporation like dr. pepper
1: so, when I was in my um, medical process, I knew a couple of people who'd gotten out, but I just really did some research on the internet. And there are a lot of placement companies that specifically work with military officers to place them in civilian companies that are looking for military officers. Um, the civilian world places a lot of value on the things that military officers bring. We are generalists in terms of being leaders. We are generalists in terms of being managers. We do have some technical skills in our particular fields. Like I have technical skills within supply, but I have general leadership and managerial skills. And that translates very well to civilian world. So there are a couple of placement companies out there. I personally worked with Alliance um, there the the uh, president of the company is former army um, has placed a lot of people he and they work with all service members all service member officers so not just army Mm -hmm. everybody Um, so I worked with them I went to a it wasn't a job fair it was really an interview process um, for four days in Dallas in 2013 and I had 11 interviews in two days yeah but Was, was there
0: food involved
1: I mean, I was running back to my room and like scarfing down like oh. chips. I was like, Oh my God, like I'm going to die. I need yeah. some snacks. Um, so by the time I got to my last interview, which happened to be Dr. Pepper, I was like, I don't even know my name. Like, I don't know your name. I don't know what com. I don't know. What so, day is it? What day is it? Exactly. <laughs> so I walk in, we sit down and just like any good interview, it's a natural conversation. So, he introduces himself and I find out he's actually a West Point grad. Class of 2000, right? Networking, very important, very, very important. (coughs) People don't realize that every person that you meet is a connection. Um, It could be a personal connection, it could be a professional connection, but everybody is a connection and everybody matters. Um, Start talking, he's a West Point grad and Dr. Pepper has just developed a emerging leader program that is specifically focused around leveraging military members and their managerial and leadership skills within the Dr. Pepper business. So that was exciting to me. I'm all about, again, being a part of a program and being a part of a company that is bigger than myself, mm-hmm. that is trying to be better than they are at that particular moment. And that's exactly what that program was doing.
0: How long was, was the program?
1: So the program is two years. Um, you it is a job um, it is your essentially your job to learn the company um, so I spent six months in warehouse learning what warehousing looks like uh, we manufacture all of our own products so you got to put that stuff somewhere and it has to get on a truck and get out you know into the streets to be sold um, so I spent six months in warehousing I spent six months in sales which is funny because when I was transitioning I said absolutely not I do not want to be in sales. I'm not doing that. Um, being in the military is, you're not naturally inclined to sales. That's yeah. Yeah. not a thi- really a thing. You know, you could have that natural ability as, as a human, but it's not a natural thing within the army. So I was not really interested in doing that, but I actually learned a ton. You learn about talking to people, you learn about um, talking about your products and what you have available and how those products can work for what that person is trying to do. Um, I spent three months in marketing. I spent three months in regional accounts, which is essentially sales at a higher level. So you're doing sales talking to a regional company. Um, so it, when I was in Dallas, the, a regional company would have been, um, like a fiesta. So like a Hispanic yeah. grocery store, right? But a national account would be something like a Walmart or a Target. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. So when I was done with that program, um, I actually had the opportunity to interview for the job that I'm in now, um, which is a sales job. So it's interesting that I ended up doing that. <laughs>
0: it's funny how things come full circle. It now, really is. Now, during the Emerging Leaders program, you mentioned that you – works in a warehouse, seems like in kind of learning more about the logistics of the company, mm-hmm. the marketing part, and the sales part. Which part of that program do you think you enjoyed the most, and what, what which part of the program did you learn the most from, too?
1: So I enjoyed, I would definitely say I enjoyed all of them. Um, the warehouse was actually the most comfortable for me, because it was most like the army. Yeah. The warehouse is very systematic, very it's not a nine to five job, but it's very much, okay, we're doing this thing at this time um, and so on and so forth. And you didn't have a uniform like the army, but you essentially had a uniform. You had to wear pants, you had to wear the closed toed shoes, you had to wear long sleeves. Um, So it was a comfort, comfortability thing for me in that job. Um, I definitely learned a lot in that job. It was nice to be around soldiers kind of again. Yeah, I imagine, yeah. yeah I, I'd gone away from being with soldiers. When I left my job in Iraq, I had been in a more of a staff position for the last two years that I was in the Army. So I was in charge of a group of, of guys who were putting um, like 12 packs on a pallet to put on a truck. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice, and, and it was a good transition for me out of the military. Um, I definitely learned the most in sales. I really learned about you know what these, these guys are facing when they're going out on the streets. Um, Dr. Pepper has some challenges that it deals with in terms of Coke and Pepsi and the items they're selling and the soda industry right now is, is having challenges in general. Um, you know health is a very becoming a very important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see what's going on out in the world and how it's affecting the business. Um, I definitely learned a lot in all of them. I can't. I probably. I really can't pin down like any particular one. It, it was a really, really good process for me, and it was a really good um, first two years out of the military for me. It, it definitely, I would say, made my transition easier as opposed to, all right, well, yeah. here you go. See you later. Bye. Would
0: you, Would you say that it was coming from the military? Was it easier to establish establish yourself into a leadership role with? civilians and those who may not have had military experience did they I guess in an essence have more respect for you because you were a veteran
1: they did um and it was easier to do that I've Hmm. always been a leader I mean even before I went to West Point I that's just always been my natural inclination Hmm. um so I've always been a leader it was easy to establish myself as a leader I'm a vocal person um, but I also think it's important to listen to those around you. And I did a lot of listening in the emerging leader role. Um, I have, like I said, a natural inclination to lead, but I also needed to learn about the company. So I did a lot of listening, but I also did leading and, and helped develop, um, some kind of systematic efficiencies that needed to be created in order to make the job better, which, you know, I was a systems engineering major when I was at West Point, so I was able to leverage some of that as well. But it was very easy for me to establish myself in, in, in a leadership um, influencer position.
0: Okay. Now with just kind of going back to your MBA program, at the end of that program, where do you kind of see yourself as not only a leader, but maybe I guess a focus area? Are you looking to go into more uh, marketing route? Are you looking to kind of stay in the sales, um, or are you looking to do something more on the supply chain logistical side of like Dr Pepper Staple Group? What what do you where do you see yourself going w- within that company, or where do you see yourself? after uh, obtaining your MBA? What kind of what route do you see yourself going?
1: So there's kind of the saying in the army, it's uh, what do I want to be when I grow up? Because when you get out of the army, yeah. for most people you're young, you know, whether you are getting out or you're retiring, you're still at most going to be in your forties, right? So you're still young. So it's still very much like, what do I want to be when I grow hmm. up? I'm still figuring out what I want to be. Uh, part of the reason I decided to do the MBA was because I want to focus myself. Um, the sale my my particular sales job there are aspects of it that i really enjoy there are aspects of it that i do not enjoy um i enjoy some of the analytics involved in sales Mm. but there are some kind of like feet on the street aspects that i don't enjoy Mm. um so i'm kind of trying to figure out how to focus myself the one of you one of the unique things about the unc well they call it the mba at unc is that you can do concentrations, um, and you can do entrepreneurship, you can do marketing, you can do sustainability, there's a lot of options. But if you don't want to focus on one particular concentration, you can just take a couple of electives in things that interest you. Um, So I could take one in marketing, I could take one in sustainability, um, to kind of give myself a better idea of what I want to do. So I'm not really sure where it's gonna put me Um, There are some days that I want to go back to my roots and do supply and logistics. I really enjoyed that. Um, I loved doing that job when I was in the army. There are days where I say, well, you know, I think I would be really good at marketing. And then there are days, well, sales has worked for me for the past two years, so why not? So really, I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still, I'm still figuring out what I'm going to be when I grow up.
0: Yes. Now, I I will say for a Thirty-two year old. Sorry to relax.
1: Th- relax. So- I have uh, what is this September? I have four more months.
0: We're we're gonna round up here. You the- didn't want
1: me to round up when you were a week away from your twenty-seventh birthday.
0: <laughs> so, so round up. The, the The reason I bring this up is you're a very well accomplished individual for your. I guess you could say age. I don't want to throw it out there like that, but I, I look up to you and admire like your accomplishments. Thank you. And I think it's awesome that even though you've done such great things, you were um, a Division One athlete at West Point. You served in the military for five years. You were deployed over in Iraq, and you helped bring home tens of thousands of troops back home and you're going back to school to, to obtain your, your MBA. What kind of advice I guess would you have for, I guess, you know, people that are maybe transitioning career wise or maybe just getting out of school. Like what kind of advice would you give to, you know, young people uh, our age essentially
1: so I would say first and foremost always try to be better being better doesn't mean going to school being better doesn't mean doing anything major those are all wonderful accomplishments going to school getting a new job um, all of those things are great but you can be better in a day-to-day basis if you're not a morning person and you say oh i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get up early tomorrow and you don't do it and you don't do it that's not being better so challenge yourself and say okay you know i am going to get up early and i'm going to go work out just make small changes every day in order to make yourself a better person you're not going to change overnight but you can change yourself in the long run because Goals are accomplished in the long run. Goals aren't accomplished overnight. You and I talk about that all the time. You know, this all is all the time. Life is not; it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You got to put in the work. You got to take the time uh, to focus on yourself and focus on that goal. So, definitely try to be better every single day. Um, and that can be done at a very small level and and also a big level. But the small things really do matter. Um, I think it's important to connect with the people around you. We have a very instant gratification technology driven society right now. And just because you like somebody's picture on Facebook or Instagram doesn't mean you're connecting with them. Uh, I think it's important to reach out to people. I think it's important to talk to people. I think things like this, these podcasts are a really good blend of technology and reaching out. Yes. Good job. High five. Um, (laughs) Because it, almost forces an interaction. I don't want to say forces, but it creates this interaction, right? It creates a connection. I've known you for a long time, but I'm sure that you've learned something tonight about me that you didn't know.
0: Absolutely. Right. So so
1: those things are important, right? And it's important to continue to create connections with people. um, Even as, as technology becomes more and more important uh, as a part of our life. Um, So I think those are the two major things um, that I would say is always, just always try to be better, be kind, you know, we, we, I think we forget about people, you know, again, we, we start to lose some of the connection because of technology. So I think it's important to be kind to people and, and be aware that everyone has things that they're going through. Um, and you just never know. So, and it doesn't hurt you at all personally or professionally to be kind to people. So do your best, be kind to people and and form interactions. Um, and I think you can be successful no matter what you're doing.
0: Simple tools, peeps. Next question. We're almost there. You mentioned you're a bookworm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've been kind of getting into the book realm to expand my vernacular. Uh, and there's uh, there have been a few books that I, I've stumbled across lately. What would you say is your go-to genre of books? Mm-hmm. And if you had to recommend a book to somebody, mm-hmm. whether well-known or kind of something that most people wouldn't hear about for example i just read and this is something we talked about a few weeks ago was the five people you meet in heaven by mitch album amazing book um and another book uh the alchemist by paulo coelho these are very common books but i mean if you have a common book you'd recommend even better but what would you say is your favorite genre of books Mm -hmm. and if you had to suggest a book which one would it be and why
1: So let me give you a little background on the bookworm thing. So the bookworm thing actually started because I was moving so much when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, so while I did learn to interact with people more, and it definitely helped me in the army um, because I was able to connect with people from different walks of life because I've ridden four wheelers. I've lived in big cities. I used to barrel race so I can connect with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Um, in the beginning, I read a lot to kind of have a grounding for myself. Um, so I used to read these like little animal stories and stuff. So that's where the bookworm thing kind of comes from. Um, so I definitely read for pleasure. I do read, um, to learn about myself. I really like like seven habits of highly effective people. I think that's really important. Um, a really important book to read. Um, but I definitely read for pleasure. I really like historical fiction. Um, I like Jillian Flynn. So she wrote Gone Girl. Ooh.
0: Yes. Crazy movie.
1: Crazy. Crazy movie. And her, <laughs> her new one is coming out, um, Girl on a Train. So I read those books when they first came out, like years ago.
0: Well before the movie came out.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I really enjoy books that have like very well-developed characters. I think that's really important. Mm. Um, because we're all very complex people. You know, you can't define people down to a couple of traits. Um so I think those are really great books. Um Dante's Inferno, which they're making all my favorite books into movies right now. Wait, um, is that That's coming out as a movie.
0: Oh my goodness. Yes,
1: that's a great I'm Living book. Under a Rock. Yeah, I know. I don't know what you're doing with your life. Um I'm trying to... There's another Diane Gabaldon. She is a historical fantasy writer, I want to say but it's about um, basically this woman who ends up like traveling back in time to like the Scottish insurrection and all of those things, but it's very historically driven. So I like, I like history. I like um, story of people's people story of people's people connecting um, what has formed not only our nation, but what has formed the world. It's interesting to hear about one small interaction of people can create a worldwide event. Um, so those are definitely some some books that I've enjoyed, um, probably in the last couple of years. I haven't read as much recently because I've been so busy, uh, but I definitely have a couple of books on my list that I wanna that I wanna read.
0: Nice, nice. Now with uh, as much as you've experienced in your very short time here on this earth, when you think of successful,
1: thirty two years. <clears throat> yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when do you think of uh, successful, who is the first person who comes to mind, or who do you think of when you think of successful? You've got 30 seconds.
1: Man, that's a hard question. You know, from a very young age, I actually looked up to Martin Luther King. I thought what he did in terms of civil rights was incredibly important, um, particularly at the time that he did it. He had his own challenges personally, um, but to create a movement and to try to create that movement in a peaceful way to stand up for the rights of people, I think is incredibly important. It's incredibly courageous. Um, It's self-sacrificing. I think he was a great leader um, in a very difficult time. I think we have some great military leaders right now. Uh, I met General Odierno several times when I was in Iraq. I met General Austin, both grads, both great inspirational leaders. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, I can't think of really any others. Really a, a great leader to me is someone who's able to inspire people to be better than themselves to accomplish a greater goal than they can accomplish as an individual um, who can make you push yourself beyond the limits of yourself.
0: Nice, nice. Well, uh, that is really the, the last thing I can and can possibly think of. So just to kind of conclude what we discussed today uh, for those who are listening, especially for those who are in the military transitioning over into the civilian world, hopefully you are able to find um, some some gems in this episode that you can take and utilize as you transition from military life into the civilian world. And even for those who are looking to change career paths or just making change in general, at the end of the day, uh, make sure that... You, you keep in mind every person that you meet is a connection. Very very uh, important to to take that in consideration. I remember one of my mentors uh, he told me always pretend like the next person you meet is going to introduce you to the next person that's going to make an impact on your life. Absolutely. And that's that's such an important thing to consider and and really think about as you're making that transition. So in conclusion, I'm really trying to get Jules to get this blog she's been talking about up and I mean, running for my list. <laughs> months because I'm sure that plenty of men and women who are listening to this podcast are going to want to reach out to her.
1: Oh, can I? And really fast. Absolutely. I think one of the marks of successful people is people that um, schedule their day. So a lot of people have to-do lists, Right you can have a to-do list with 50,000 items on Mm -hmm. it and you may or may not get to it. Put things on your calendar. I don't remember where I read this, but about six months ago, I read an article that said, don't just make a to-do list, schedule your day on your calendar. And I started doing that. And so my calendar now has...
0: Like includes workout, like eat, like... Yes, you
1: put everything. And particularly you know while you're at work, you put, okay, I'm going to email for me, I'm going to email this market manager I'm going to call this branch manager and so on and so forth so you have all of your day scheduled um, and it really makes you more productive so I didn't mean to interrupt you no 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 um, that's perfect But definitely utilize your calendar especially with all the technology we have utilize your calendar and make your to-do list on your calendar versus making a to-do list
0: that is something I'm definitely going to put into practice because I've been using OneNote and that is my baby. Yes. And in an essence, I I was prior to that I was using paper, and the reason I started using OneNote is I noticed I was a lot more productive using OneNote. I can type a lot faster than I can write, and it's all about trying to maximize that productivity at the end of yeah. the day, and try and get more accomplished in a short amount of time, but in an, an efficient way or an effective way. So. Put all of your to-do list items on the calendars. Give them times.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, like I,
1: I used to use Wunderlist all the time, and I still think it's a great app. That's
0: the second time um, I've heard of that. It Third is, time, actually, Wunderlist.
1: Because you can yeah. put you can put different areas. Work, home, blah, blah, blah. You can make different lists on there. And you can set a calendar reminder on it. So it is a good app, but I find that I'm more effective at work when I schedule time on my calendar for specific tasks
0: wonder list for those who are using a to-do list highly suggested that you put that to-do list onto a calendar and do you have any suggestions you like to use Google Calendar or
1: so I personally use Microsoft Outlook but that's just because that's That's what we use for work okay Um, yeah so that's just what I use
0: Okay. Any last things you want to leave our wonderful audience today with?
1: No. I appreciate you having me on. Um, I hope that I didn't ramble too much. Um, I am definitely going to work on that podcast since you're trying to call me out. And uh, Blog. Or, yeah, blog. Whatever. Or both. Or both. Who, you know, who knows?
0: Whatever. Maybe um, I can be a guest on, yes. on a podcast.
1: But, no, thank you for the time. I appreciate it.
0: All right. You heard it from Jules. Organize. Take advantage, or oh, not take advantage. Make sure you connect with people. Get out there, meet some people, talk to them. Get on Facebook for a few minutes. Go out, go th- go out there and have a deep conversation. Have some apothec crush from Publix, from Publix if you need to. But I, I really hope that you all enjoyed this episode today. I honestly feel that, and hope. That uh, it'll generate some questions, primarily for Jules, because I didn't uh, contribute much to this episode. But th- <laughs> I've learned so much from Jules, and I've known her for years. And I'm definitely going to have some questions over some more wine after this podcast episode is over. But uh, I will definitely leave some information in the show notes. If you could just definitely leave me a review on iTunes, uh, The Journey by your host co it's been a pleasure thank you for listening again thank you jules for being a guest on today's episode and providing such great insight onto not only the transitioning but just some things to take into consideration in day-to-day life hope you guys enjoy